This week on the Dragzine Podcast, Roger Holder joins us to talk about his big win at the COVID-8 dirt track racing, what got him into drag racing, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put in the beans. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, West Coast Rage racer Roger Holder joins us, and he just won the Pro 275 class at the COVID-8. And he's been racing for quite a while, and he'll pretty much race anything with wheels. So, uh, you know, let's hear what he's got to say. And without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine podcast is Roger Holder. What's going on, Roger? Oh, not too much. Just out here trying to beat the Bakersfield, California heat. I was going to say it's getting about that uh, that time of year where it gets nice, little, nice and toasty out there, eh? Yeah, today's supposed to be 105, I think. But it's definitely not as humid as we were just at. I, I think I'd rather have the dry heat than humidity. Yeah, that that's the funny thing is you hear people talk about, you know, oh, it's a dry heat or it's a humid heat. There is a definite difference from my experience personally. When we shot uh, Horsepower Wars the first year, I was out in California in August, and 110 degrees in the sunlight hurts yeah it, it gets hot that's for sure you know but the type of business we're in with air conditioning uh you know it's a good spot to be in the summertime i was gonna say that's uh that, that's your that's like up here up the north during the winter time when the uh, landscaping companies like to see that white gold fall from the sky so they can plow you like to see that you like to see that thermometer buried yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely good for business. And yeah, Orlando is definitely an interesting place. I worked actually, I worked in Orlando on an internship at Disney during college from March until August. And you'll get that point of that time of year down there where you get to experience hot and humid at the same time, and it sucks. Yeah, I, I don't. I keep telling myself that I'd love to move back east so we can be around more of the racing and. You know, there's a lot more stuff that goes on back there. But as soon as I go back there in the heat a little bit, and then when I say heat, it's 85, you know, maybe 90, but the humidity's 85 or 90%. And it, I think, well, maybe I don't want to move back here. Kind of, kind of, though, it's definitely a compromise for sure. But the, uh, the racing, you know, nearly year round that you can hit around here on the East Coast, depending on where you're at, is nice for sure. And I think that's a, a good segue into, uh, this past weekend, uh, you, you had a pretty damn good weekend behind the wheel of Nova, right? Yeah, we uh, went back there. Uh, we went to Darlington first the week before. It's what we made the decision to go back there for us because we could get two races, you know, being back east out of one trip, you know. So we went back to Darlington and um, ran pretty well there. You know, the cars really – and un, un, not i wouldn't say untested but we don't have the only testing we have is when we go to the tracks to race um you know because we don't have anywhere where we can really test out here so we went to darlington with you know trying to get as much testing as we could during that race to be able to go to the COVID eight that donald put on and be able to try to you know do something um with all these fast cars that were going to show up and we ended up doing pretty good. Let's rewind things a little bit here with this car, because I was fortunate when you debuted this car that I got to shoot the feature on it. I remember when we saw this thing on roll from the trailer, this Nova, my editor and I both about ended up wrecking the rental car. Cause we we're like, damn, that's nice. And it was like, you see some of these cars, you closer to get the nicer to get then start hearing, you know, the story behind it. When you rolled this car out last year at Orlando, it was straight from testing right to that big no time deal at ducks race. Right. 
Yeah, we actually, we were going back, uh, when we were going to that race, I actually brought the Nitrous Camaro to run in the class. I didn't even bring the Nova to race at all. Um, we were going back, so I put it on FuelTech's uh, hub dyno, you know, to get the motor tune-up right, and that's all it was going there for. Well, in the midst of traveling back there, we broke my laptop, which is kind of proprietary for, uh, from Pat Moosey, you know, to run the controls, and... I couldn't really get one. I no one no one had one, um, and it got to a point at the track where I just had to make a decision. In Orlando, we were down there going to test the Camaro. I thought, well, we don't have the Camaro. Let's pull the Nova out and see if we can shake it down. You know, why I was going to wait for a computer when we showed up in Georgia. Well, it ended up we had such good success on the two or three hits we had in Orlando. I just said, you know what, we're going to stick with the Nova. I think there's some potential here. You know, and that was I'm that was. We went to Georgia with probably three or four test hits. And I think we may have made one full eighth-mile hit before we went to Georgia. And that whole deal was funny because a little bit of a backstory there. When I was trying to hit you up to uh, to do the to, to do the uh, to do the interview and set up the photo shoot, there was a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a skirmish between you and Donald there at the race, wasn't there? Between uh, the testing hit, right? <laughs> Yeah, we uh, there was a little confusion on the line. You know, we uh, we were in lanes, and there was uh, a couple cars in front of us that weren't ready. So they told us to go around. We were 90% ready, but we had to let our tire pressure down because we weren't the next car to go down. So we let the tire pressure down, and the other competitor had just did his burnout. I did a short burnout, so I wouldn't hold the, hold the other guy up. You know, no big deal. And as we were backing up, they shut us off and pushed us back, said, well, we're too late. And I thought, no, all right, whatever. So then they fired us back up. I did another burnout, and then they shut us off again. Well, that's when the problem started. Donald came down because somebody was telling him that we were the problem. And so it obviously it started a, you know, a big argument because we didn't have any idea why they kept shutting us down. Like, we weren't the problem, you know. And I guess someone gave Donald some misinformation, and things got a little heated on the starting line there. And, you know, it was best that I just walked away and, you know, Donald ended up coming over and said, you know, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, this and that. And I, you know, obviously he's out there, you know, more or less running the business with a lot of customers and, you know, tensions get high. And, you know, I told him, don't even worry about it, man. I appreciate the apology and let's move forward. And everything was good. And, you know, that was kind of awesome to see that whole deal kind of like unfold where all cooler heads prevailed and that might've shook some teams up. But you guys just kept chugging right along. And I just remember throughout the whole weekend, you guys were just like, I don't know what this thing's going to do. I don't know what's going to do. How to have a hard draw the first round. And then you guys made it out of the first round. And I shot those, when I was shooting those pictures, I just, it was like this fire was lit underneath your team. And I told one of their media guys, I was like, these dudes are going to win it all. Watch. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely one of them weekends that you don't have very often. You know, everything seemed to just fall in place. I mean, for a car to come out and have literally zero testing, you know, that's and to be able to run against cars of that caliber and come out on top, that's obviously something to be said. You know, that's that's not easy to do. You know, obviously we had a lot of luck on our side and, you know, but when you put the team together in the shop, put the car together, you know, you buy the right part, you do the right thing. You know, most of the time, good things will come out of it. Not all the time, but most of the time. You know, spe speaking of not an easy road, the other thing a lot of people don't realize is that you did some high-speed weight reduction at the top end at one point when you started sending uh, body panels and, and back glass in a little orbit, right? 
Yeah, that was one of the things of probably not – the car wasn't really ready to race. We didn't have all the panels in the front end and all this stuff, so it was sucking in the fenders going, you know, 200-plus miles an hour. And it allowed the air to get behind the door, and it ripped the door off the hinges, you know. And we had a um, – you know, we had a guy try to loan us his door. It wouldn't fit, so we just took a bunch of duct tape and duct taped it back on there for the finals. What's it like to be in a car going 200 miles an hour all of a sudden that uh, a door flies off? Does does that get your attention pretty quick? It does, very much so. I had a, I had something similar happen back in Vegas at the streetcars a few years back in my 2000 Camaro when we were running quarter mile and I think we I think I ended up going 245 and my windows blew out 90 degrees, you know, and and it's something that, you know, it gets your attention quick. It, it takes you a second to figure out what happened, you know, because you're not focused on something like that happening, you know, but it's, uh, it's definitely a surprise. It'll wake you right up. <laughs> yeah. Surprise is an interesting way to put it because, you know, <laughs> we, we were standing up on the hill for the, by the live feed trailer when it happened, like a couple of the gusts that were up there, like, what the hell was that all about? Cause you hear this noise and then you, you know, you see stuff flying and you hear stuff crashing to the ground. Like, did he crash? What, what the hell was that? Yeah, a lot of people thought the uh, intercooler blew up or, you know, something pressurized the the cabin or whatever. And it was just, just that it's amazing how you don't realize how much, you know, force there is going 200 miles an hour, especially for a car that's probably not supposed to go 200 miles an hour. You know, I don't think the 68 Novas were really built to go that fast. No, that was definitely not on the drawing board when they started doing the, uh, the aero package for that. That's like trying to shove a barn door through a stream. Right, exactly. You know, com- compared to the Camaro going from the nitrous to the boost car, what's it been like making that transition on a small tire? You know, well, um, it's you know I've, I've ran nitrous. I've ran nitrous pretty much, you know, since I've started drag racing, and then we went. I switched the boosted combinations, you know, years back, and. Um, I've liked the boosted stuff because I'm such a big guy that I'm, I can't really run any other combination and get down to people, you know, the weights. I have to run the combination that is pretty much the heaviest because of what I can get the car down to, you know, for weight wise. And, uh, you know, the, when we first went, uh, turbo, we, we built the motor and, uh, kind of transferred a nitrous motor to a turbo and it, we had horrible success. It didn't, it, it was not good at all. And then we decided to get an engine from Proline and that was by far at the time, the best thing we've ever done. I, I mean, the motors were like, flawless. And I, from that point forward, I just thought, man, you know, this is, this is where it's at. You know, I had, it, it was, you know, going with Proline at the time was like, it was it was amazing you know you make it twice the power that we've ever made and you know half the problems we ever had so it was a it was a good transition it was it worked out good you know what's interesting too is i don't think a lot of people realize is that you know you are from california and you travel so much east to race you know what's it like trying to get that done all the time is just you know for the simple fact there's just not enough racing for you in california yeah i mean the, i don't know i mean they're trying to do a lot better out here you know but i there's just not enough cars to cater to the small tire radial stuff and uh you know with the with the track prep 
that it takes to be able to run a fast radio car out here is, you know, it's not as, you know, back east, like all the tracks are in competition. They're trying to make their tracks, you know, the next best thing. And, you know, we don't have, we don't really have that competition out here and there's not enough cars to really warrant the, the tracks to spend the money or the promoters to spend the money on the track prep, you know? So it, it, the car counts down to, you know, you go back east and, you know, like the COVID-8, you know, you had 16 Pro 275 cars show up and damn near every one of them could win, you know. Um, we just don't have that that type of engagement out here on the West Coast, sadly enough. You know, there's a lot of guys, you know, but I, I, I don't know. I've never really figured it out. You know, there's I think it's because there's so much more things to do maybe out here or whatever. But they're just, uh, you know, between the tracks and the competition it makes it fun to go back east and race. You know, I was always kind of interested to get your take on something like that because, you know, back in the day, you know, drag racing was born. You know, the NHRA, it was all the cradle of drag racing civilization was out west, and it just, for some reason, it, like you said, it just it doesn't seem like it's big on the heads-up stuff anymore. Yeah, I don't, it's, I mean, you know, with Bodie or West Coast Hot Rod or, you know, uh, PSCA, I mean, there's there's – there's, there ain't a lack of trying. I mean, these guys do a great job of promoting and they're doing all they can to, to, you know, get the racing going. And, and it's not, you know, it's by far not dead. It's just not for whatever reason, it's just not as strong as it is back East. You know, I, I don't, I maybe, I don't know. There's a million different reasons of why people think, you know, some people have said it's payout. Some people say it's the tracks and, you know, it's just, it's on and on and on, you know, uh, but uh, I don't know. I, w- I wish it was like back east. I really do. You know, it was. It would be something to hang our hat on out here. You know, um, and it's hard for us because we don't. Like I said, we don't get as much testing or racing as all the guys back east. So sometimes I feel like we're at a disadvantage of not having the testing to go back there and run with the guys. You know. Have you ever thought about just grabbing a bracket car just to scratch that itch when you need to just go out and do some like any kind of racing at all? You know what? I, I, I know I, I can't do it. I've tried to, I think once you go so fast, it's really, really, really hard to go get something that's not as fast, you know, but we, I, you know, I stay busy. We, I raced an IMCA dirt car and got an asphalt, uh, super stock car that we race. Uh, so, you know, when there's, when there's no drag racing, we got something to do, you know, I just, I, I couldn't never see myself. I think when it's time to slow down, that's probably the day I'll retire, I think, out of drag racing. You know, it's funny. I asked Bill Lutz about that in an article. You know, you know why, why'd you get out of bracket racing? And he was like, I like to go fast, and I'd suck at hitting the brakes. That's, that was his answer. <laughs> like, Fair enough. Well, I had a I, – I mean, I've done some bracket racing in my younger years. and uh, <clears throat> I don't think – I never really understood – you race somebody, you go faster than what you dialed in, and you lose. The, I, that just never made sense to me. I thought, well, drag racing is to go as fast as you can every single pass, you know, to to put a time on your window and then go faster than that time, and you get beat because you break out. Uh, man, that was it was hard for me to swallow, so I, I've never really, never really, it's hard. Bracket racing is hard, don't get me wrong, but it, I just couldn't do it. 
Yeah, logic does not compute. Now, <laughs> something I want, you, you mentioned there we wanted to talk about is your 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 circle track kind of days because I you know I I'm a fan of dirt track racing as much as I you know I don't unfortunately have the fabrication skills or bank account to be able to go out and do that as as needed. You know, how did you end up getting into to paved and, and circle track racing? Well, the dirt track racing, um, you know, we were back in I think. 2010 or 11 super you know heavy into drag racing i think back then out here we had three associations so i was racing you know drag racing three times out of the month in three different associations you know running around trying to win championships in three different associations and just staying really busy well i was getting kind of burned out and i knew i had to stay busy with something so i thought you know i'm and i went out to the dirt track one of my buddies had a dirt car and you know i'm sitting in the stands and I go, well, it's the fast class out here. He goes, well, the modified are the fastest class. I go, okay, well, that's what I need to get. Now, mind you, I've never driven a dirt car in my life. And I thought, you know, from the stands, oh, I can do that, you know. So <laughs> I went and bought a modified. And it was a humbling experience. The modifieds are no joke. And I thought I was going to get into dirt racing to kind of minimize my drag racing. But all it created was a whole other habit. And then, then I was trying to chase three series and throw in dirt racing every Saturday night when I could. Sometimes I've drive down to Fontana, which is a couple hours south of us, qualify my drag car, leave it all down there, drive back home, race Saturday night in the dirt car, and then Sunday morning drive back down for eliminations. I've done that a couple times that, uh, you know, so that's kind of a, I guess that's a disease that I have that I probably should get out of somehow. That's pretty gangster. I'm not going to lie. If you know, that's Alex Laughlin's flying back between, you know, radial tires and pro stock, and you're driving between two completely different disciplines of, of racing. And for me, you know, kind of being a, a, a pretty big fan of dirt track racing and seeing what goes into that, to me, that's amazing because the disciplines could not be so much, so much further apart in what they do. Yes, there. That's it's a whole different, you know, thought process. I mean, er, everything's a hundred percent different. It's it's definitely takes some uh, getting used to and remembering what you're doing in the car and you know, but it gets you know it gets where it's uh, um, it's fun. I I can't. It's just something else to go out and do. You know. Yeah, I got to go to uh, Eldora this past year to cover the uh the, for the for the World 100 and seeing dirt late models or any dirt car but dirt late models I call it it's, it's hockey on wheels watching those guys set up for that first turn going three wide is nuts like yeah it's it's a whole different level of just the the throttle control and everything goes into that so anybody that dirt track races to me that's just an extra badassery stripe because it's it takes a lot of courage to hold that thing open as you need it and dive into a turn and you know do the little whip to get that thing to set up and go into the slide because uh there's a lot of weird stuff that could happen in a hurry most definitely and also you know it, it gives us you know i've always after i couldn't quit drag racing i kept staying dirt racing i use you know i use a lot of the knowledge from the dirt car and or the drag car back and forth to you know, feel when the car's breaking traction or, you know, vice versa. It So it's kind of, you know, you can take some of the things out of each, uh, each car 
and utilize it. I know it doesn't sound right because one's dirt track going in a circle and the other one's asphalt going straight, but just the seat of your pants, that way the car is feeling, you know, when a car, when a drag car gets out of control, you have the reflex to be able to, you know, maybe save it, you know, not all the time is it, is it like that, you know, but sometimes uh, it helps, you know, to be able to have that, that just that natural reflex to correct the car. You know, you did some quarter mile pro mod racing as well. You know, what's that like compared to eighth mile, uh, eighth mile heads up racing? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, it's all competition. So truthfully for me, if, you know, if there's somebody in the other lane and you can try to outrun them, you know, that's to me, that's where it's at. But, um, the, the, Pro mod stuff, you know, it's, it's obviously, uh, it's fun, you know, and I did it, we had a stint of it, but for me, they're just, there's not enough pro mod racing out here. And if I'm going to travel, I like the small tire stuff. It just appeals to me a lot better. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't really know why tell you the truth, but it's, I like the radial stuff. And I guess because that's kind of where I started with small tire radial stuff before I ever, mess with any big tire stuff you know the, but i was gonna say the, the pro mod deal you know when you're going 250 in the quarter that's got to be a whole different deal on the back half of the track trying to get used to to manhandling one of those cars because they're trying to do everything they can to kill you essentially yes they they're definitely people think oh that's a big tire it's easy to get down There's, that's not true at all in my personal opinion the big tire stuff is actually harder to get down you know than and to drive because they're never like a radio car on a good pass is smooth. It's, it's just straight. It's perfect. Now when it spins a tire, you get in trouble, but a pro mod you're driving that car until you hit the shoots. And even after you hit the shoots at 265 miles an hour, it's still a handful, you know? So it's a, it's a whole different aspect going that fast on some big tires that are kind of like, you know, balloons that are walking around the track, you know, you stand behind one of them and you can see how, how much they move around compared to a, say a radio car, you know? Oh yeah. That, that's the, the exact point I was going to make is that you, st- you stay on the starting line and the only time a pro mod goes straight is when it's going slow. That's really <laughs> about it. No, you've got a point. That's true. Well, when that thing is full wood and everything's going right, that thing is trying to literally, it seems like it's trying to move in like three different directions at the same time. And the driver, you know, you're, you're trying to do your best guesstimate to keep it kind of a point in the general direction. It needs to go. Right. Yeah. You're just, you're just kind of uh, guiding it, I guess you could say down the track. It's, you know, you're trying to stay ahead of it to not let it get too far out of the groove and, and uh, just kind of, you know, you're herding it down the, down the track there really. Now, with a radial tire car, how do you typically approach trying to keep that car happy from your, you know, the suspension tune-up and stuff like that? Because it's something where, you know, a slick tire you need to spin. For for you guys, with what you try to do with the radial car, how do you guys approach making it do what it needs to do? Well, you mean as the radial tire? Yeah. Well, you just, you know, obviously you don't want any slip out of a radial, so you got to figure out that happy spot of, uh, taken off, you know, and, and being able to, to apply as much power as fast as you can going down the track and not, you know, losing traction, you know, in that, in that sense, 
if you lose the traction on the radial, you pretty much aborted that run. You know, and when it comes to when it comes to the slick, you know, you can overpower the slick a little bit, and, and it's more forgiving in that sense. You know, because you can you just might have a little more too much rotation, and you can see it in your data, but if you don't, you may not have to abort the run due to because of it. So, the radial stuff when it comes to you know applying the power and 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 how you get down the track is definitely a lot different than on a slick. Now. Another thing I wanted to kind of hit on too is that you know you've done time and no time racing both. Which is your favorite? I personally like the no time. I mean, well, let me. I like the no time because it's to me, it's more exciting because you don't know what the other guy has ran. You may think you're faster, you may not think you're faster, but nobody knows. So you can't, you can't just dial in something. Okay, I'm racing a guy that. You know, I qualified number one, and this guy qualified last. I got three tenths on him, so I'm going to take some tune-up out of it to make sure I get down. You know, in no time racing, you really can't do that. For one, you're going to draw when you get up there to who you're going to run. I guess you could change the tune-up at the last minute, you know, but we, we normally don't do that. We race, we try to race the track and not the person. You know, they outrun us, they outrun us. But the no time stuff is just definitely more – more exciting in that aspect because you don't know how fast somebody's been. I mean, you're guessing and you're trying to think of, okay, well, how fast has he been, you know, but, uh, and even when you know what somebody runs, it still doesn't matter. Cause you don't know if they, if they've been having a good day, a bad day, uh, if their performance is down or, you know, you don't know. So it just adds that extra little, uh, you know, that little heartbeat there that makes you a little bit more nervous than normal. You know, I think that really kind of tells the the tale there that grudge racing and no time racing is it's all it's it's racing, but it's also a culture. It really, really is because you get into some of that hardcore stuff, and from an outside fan, they might think these guys hate each other, but they do to a point. But it's it's more of a it's a competition thing. It's like you're beating your chest because you want to prove that you're the baddest dinosaur on the block, pretty much. You want to be the T-Rex. And I think that's what makes, like you said, that's what makes that kind of racing really exciting for racers and fans, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I think, too, a lot of these guys, you know, in the grudge world, they, you know, when you, a lot of, a lot of racing is to get into somebody's head, you know, and make them, make them want to outrun you so bad that they're going to go over there and make a mistake on their tune-up or the driving or whatever, you know, you're looking for every single advantage that you can when it comes to grudge style racing. You know, that's, that's what I've seen. I mean, we haven't done a whole lot of grudge, uh, no time racing stuff. You know, we've kind of adapted it out here on the West coast and definitely went back there and raced a couple times. But, uh, the, you know, the no time stuff is, it's it's exciting man and and just knowing you know seeing everybody sometimes you see them you know having their arguments and you think they're going to kill each other but i think that's just part of that's just part of the game you know and everybody understands that yeah you know the best example of that was when jr gray raced toot in mario johnson's car ghost versus jason x that was just electrifying you know that was to me that was probably honestly the most exciting race I've ever been around to see everything around that and just like when you hear that that phrase always oh you could cut the tension with a knife no legit you like you walked around and like 
I've never seen so many tense faces in the stagelings ever <laughs> in a drag race. <laughs> well, I think too that you know that's that's that that's that type of uh, you know that nervousness of not knowing, not physically knowing what the other guy can run, and on top of some of the money that's you know bet on these races, uh, yeah, I mean it give most people a heart attack. You oh. know, it's 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 a, it's insane. I. I'm not that type of person. It's hard for me to bet money on a race because I just know that there's any little thing that can take you out of the race. And I've been in that situation and it's really hard for me to put together a huge bet, you know, with, with so many, uh, you know, chances of, even if you could, even if you know, you can beat the guy, I mean, a wire could fall off and you, you know, you don't make it down the track. It makes it, it's super intense for sure. Yeah, like I see guys like individuals talking about, you know, five figure bets that they're going to throw out on a race that they have nothing to do with that car. I just I can't like I can't wrap my mind around betting on something that I don't have any type of like direct impact on. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, most definitely. That's I mean, you might as well just go bet on. You know, red thirteen in Vegas. You probably sometimes would have just the same amount of chance, you know. But I don't know. Some of these guys, some of these guys that are you know diehard Grudge Race fans, they can they can damn near tell you what you ran within you know a half a tenth of a second just by watching. Oh, it's nuts. Yeah, they're good. They're real good. It's amazing. Yeah, like you'll see. I always see the same cast of characters at these races on the money line betting, and it's like. It reminds me of something, you know, like in The Running Man when they had the big board and the bets and all that and like the background and the guys were taking money on it. That's what it literally reminds me of is something from one of those post-apocalyptic movies where you got one guy taking everybody's money <laughs> and just, you know, they're pointing and everything. It's just it's such a different culture that if you're not used to it, people don't know how to react to it at all. Yeah, I 100% agree. It, it, it It's almost uh, like when I first started kind of around it, you hear all these guys over here, there's 10, 15 guys yelling at each other, and you're thinking, man, they're getting ready to fight, you know, but they're not. They're just, they're, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the negotiations of what's going to go down. And, and, you know, you're trying to, trying to get in their head and trying to get them upset to make a mistake or, or to bet on something they didn't really want to bet on, you know? What's it like as a driver when you're driving through that sea of humanity to make a hit? And you see everybody pointing at the other lane. Has that ever happened to you when they're trying to pick a race? You know what? I I I am focused on you know on driving on what I got to do, and I really don't I don't pay attention to the outside you know outside noise or whatever. You know the crew guys, and they'll come back and tell me everything that was going on or whatnot. But when I you know I'm sitting there, I'm focused. I'm looking down the track. I mean, really, the only thing that that it kind of worries me is, you know, when we're getting ready to pull up to the line and you can't see the starting line in front of you. It's when you need to have a train horn on the car, right? Uh, yeah, that's what you need. Or uh, I've heard racers talking about before that, you know, I'll just give them a friendly bump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. Well, it, it, I mean, that's – but the, having all them people in there are, you know, that that's part of the fun in, in my eye, you know, just having – Everybody, the fans, the you know, the guys betting it. I mean, just having that type of uh, reaction to races like that. I mean, obviously, that's what you know. That's what brings fans closer to racing is when you're that close to the action. You know. Do you think that's one of the big things that makes drag racing fans 
you know, such a, a, a tribe, such a big tribe and how they, 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 they are so like adamant about their races that they can be so close to them all the time? I think so, you know, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know why it's so much bigger back east, but that, you know, you see a lot of these races or, you know, there's, there's 200 people in the line, you know, and you, you just don't really get that out here. I don't know if it's the tracks or, or just not enough fans or, you know, I don't know, but it definitely changes the outlook when you can get, you know, within five feet of a car getting ready to make a pass and stand there and, you know, represent your car. That definitely changes the way people uh, come out and get excited about their car and their driver. You know, I'll get your take on this. And I think this is something I've kind of seen is with the rise of the street outlaw guys, racers either don't care about them, hate them, or are okay with them. But to me, going to an event where there are street outlaw guys and kind of how that all has progressed, to me, has brought that to the forefront even more because people that are fans of certain drivers on that show, it's like professional wrestling with how like rabid they are about it. And that I'm starting to see that transfer over to other areas of drag racing. What, what's your take on the street outlaw deal? Well, I mean, they obviously anybody, no matter what it is, whether it's somebody chasing a snake or chasing a rabbit, if you're on TV for whatever reason, people are going to take like to it and become a follower of that person, you know, and, and obviously drag racing is an exciting sport. And once, you know, if you're not into it, you watch it and you see it on TV, it's something that gets addicting. And then you get, you know, you get, uh, attracted to a driver or, you know, you start rooting for somebody on TV and, you know, it, it becomes, that's your, that's your person just as in sports, you know, you got your quarterback or you got your pitcher, or you got your catcher, you know, whatever. And I think for whatever reason, because they're on TV, it creates a huge following, you know, and, um, which is good for drag racing, good for them guys and good for it's, I think it's good for everything. You know, it's, uh, some people don't like the, you know, the no prep racing itself. Some love it, you know, but all in all good. I mean, that's good publicity and, you know, good or bad publicity is good for the sport because it's getting talked about. Here's something that I noticed that probably didn't get noticed by a lot of people this past weekend. And that's, you know, radio fest was going on this weekend too. And, a lot there was like three or four guys from street outlaws that made the trip there to race on radials and some of those guys have done it but i think that you're starting to see that where they're legit they want to race and they're making that like not transition but they just they want to race yeah no i agree 100 percent, and that's that's uh you know, a lot of these guys, I think Ryan Martin, I think, I think he started in radio racing or was a, you know, he, before he went full-time no prep, I think he was a radio racer, you know, for a long time. And, and yeah. it's just the opportunity for these guys, you know, obviously when you get on TV and you become, I mean, I guess you could call it a celebrity where, you know, there's, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that follow you to watch you race on TV, you know, cause that's sometimes the people that watch it on TV, that's as close as they're going to get to a drag strip, you know, or, you know, and that's that's where you be, get your fans. Uh, you know, if if uh, if you can race and they can go out and have a good time with radials or big tires or prep or no prep, it's all still racing. You know, and and uh, having fans at the track is what it's all about. 
you know, I, I like the fact you mentioned Ryan Martin because he's small tire raced before for a while, and then he got into that Fireball Camaro, and a lot of people either don't want to remember or don't seem to remember the fact that he's made it to the semis in Radio Versus the World with that car before and beat some fast people. So, you know, he's he's legit as they come. He's just kind of – he latched on to the, the no-prep deal. And then when you go to these big no-prep races, it's – to me, the fandom behind it reminds me of, like, people that are John Force fans or, you know, Dale Earnhardt fans. They bleed for their drivers, and they will boo everybody but the person they're rooting for. <laughs> yeah, for some, for I mean, yes, and I, I, and I'm assuming it's because it's on TV is why the fan base is so strong. You know, I, I've always said if we could figure out how to put a, you know, one of Ducks races or one of these races when there's hundreds of cars, if you could figure out how to make it a TV show, I think it would be a really big hit. You know, with all the thrashing and all the intensity and you know it would be i think it'd be a good show you know but obviously uh someone's came up with a you know a way to market the drag racing with the no prep stuff and and obviously it's a little bit i think it's a little more dangerous uh racing the no prep stuff you know and there's obviously there's quite a few wrecks and you know that draws fans too there's a lot of people that you know don't care about the drag racing they're there for the wrecks you know unfortunately but that's Sadly enough, that's what draws attention, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I went to out. I've been able to go to Outlaw again a couple of times, which is probably the biggest no prep race there is because that draws in the guys from Street Outlaws because it's there in Oklahoma, and then you get the guys that aren't, you know, your they call them the TV racers, and it's such an interesting environment because that's where the real fandom comes out, and you get the people that are, you know, you're, they want to go there to see big chief murder nova but then they're also there to see people like your brent selfs and you know the the guys that are more of like the legit hardcore no prep racers and you know you'll see these guys line up against each other and it's like again i, I make a, a a pro wrestling uh kind of comparison here because that's the only way to describe how nuts these fans go and like these big matchups when you have these guys, you know, the announcer just feeds into it like, Hey, do you want, you know, the street outlaw guy to win or, you know, the local guy and people are just going nuts. And it's awesome to see because it's three days of that, you know, it's, it's yeah. just, it's amazing to see. Yeah. I haven't been able to, you know, make it to a no prep race yet. There haven't been many out here that we can make it to, but definitely want to get to one and check it out, you know, and see what it's all about. You know, I'm You'll sure it's, crazy you'll be impressed as a driver and a tuner because i used to think no prep was the stupidest thing on earth until i went to a race and i'm like all right i get it now you know it's it's high-powered street racing and somewhat of a controlled environment but watching these the guys that are good make a big lick of one of those cars is impressive because you know it's basically a pro mod with very little prep trying to get that thing down the track it's it takes a very, very uh, light touch. A lot of those guys might actually do a uh, benefit from a little bit of dirt track training. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure. I mean, like I said, I've never raced on a no prep track, but I'm sure that it's definitely like any other type of drag racing. You know, whatever you're doing, it's not when you're trying to apply that much horsepower to whether it's a 275 or a 315 or a 34 and a half 17 on a no prep. It's there's there's a there's a fine line of getting down fast and or wrecking or spinning the tire, you know. So it's 
It's just who can manage the power the best to end up on top. I didn't understand for first why they laid like glue down way in the shutdown area at those events until I saw someone make a really good lick and that thing start to get out of control at the top end. And then you could see where they hit the glue. I'm like, all right, now that makes sense a little bit because it's not the, you know, to aid the cars getting down the track. It's to help those guys. It's almost like the, the tail hook on a, uh, on an aircraft carrier to help bring them to a stop. Cause those things they're getting rowdy down there. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're going through sideways and you pull the chutes. If it's, you know, it could yank the car one way or the other, but don't have a little bit of, you know, traction down there to, to keep it kind of square. You know, you, the chutes, you know, when you're going that fast and you're walking all over the track, you know, getting down there and then you pull the chutes and you're a little sideways, that glue helps you out a little bit. Yeah. And that's why, you know, at a lot of events, you know, you, you see, you see them, people think about, you know, the, the front half prep is important. I'm like, no, pay attention to how much prep's going on down track because that tells you the the quality of the event and how they're preparing for what's going to happen because these cars doesn't matter if it's eighth mile quarter mile that top end is where uh that's where the men are made yeah for sure that's where you gotta you know that's to be able to stay in it and do all that stuff that's definitely uh that's where you know it's not easy to do when you're not sure the outcome would you run your small tire car the full quarter mile if you got the chance again you i would if uh if the doors and everything would stay on it i truthfully don't know i could keep everything because i i mean with us going 206 now i i couldn't imagine i mean obviously we'd probably have to gear it a little different but i think i'd do 250 you know 260 probably i don't know that the thing would stay together at that fast anymore you know because you know if it, if it was a pro mod body or something then obviously it wouldn't be a problem but you know we still got the still roof still quarter deal so and it's just not i don't think it's i don't think it'd, it'd go that fast i'd do it you know i thought about going to that uh that import versus domestic thing and race the quarter mile because and see if we can try to retake the quarter mile record on radials but oh you gotta go dude that <laughs> that event even if you don't go to race that is an event i tell people you have to go to to experience it even if you're right. just going to sit there and drink beer and watch the cars like the level of hardware you see at that event is mind-numbing and i remember i talked to ken cartucci when he was going to try to you know when he was going to set the record in the vet and he's like i'm literally going to baby step into this thing because i have no idea what it's going to do at the top end yeah it's uh when we were running the radial back i don't remember years back when we were when we went had the record at 613 or something it's uh going that fast on a radial is it's it's nerve-wracking because it just doesn't at, at that time nobody even knew if the tires could handle that type of uh miles an hour you know we were like the first ones to go 240 something miles an hour on a 315 drag radial so everybody was like, man, is the tire gonna hold up or this or that and no one really knew the outcome so I thought, well, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Hang on. Hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. That's got to yeah. be a, a feeling when you see the Mickey Thompson engineers standing with the clipboards on the starting line going, just keep your foot <laughs> in it. Just go. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Yeah. yeah. It and, was, because uh, you know, obviously no one ever really ran a quarter mile back then. So, and, you know, they were, it was a learning curve for everybody, but they held up. It was good to go. It's, it's nuts, honestly, to see a radial car make a 250 mile an hour lick you know it 
it's so hard for people to understand when you know you're running these cars at a quarter you know like the Deckards with their blower deal I remember being at the World Cup going to pick up my driver and they're making a you know a pass and that car is just screaming at the top end with that blower you don't know if it's going to make it through or if it's going to send rods in the low orbit I mean it's it's gnarly yeah that's uh the quarter mile stuff man anymore with the fast as these cars are and as fast as a radial tire is because obviously the bigger tires chews up a lot of horsepower but the radial I mean it's just it's it's the the technology has made these cars so fast it's almost scary it's almost to a point where you know speaking of scary this will be a fun transition here. Did you see the pictures of the dude that built the fourth gen F body with the two turbos inside the car? I did see that. That to me seems really, 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 really crazy. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, I, I get it. You know, innovation is an awesome idea, but the, damn, dude, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of questions I have about that entire setup and it comes back to again i think what it shows is that racers need rules for their own good because we will do anything we can to think if it's going to go faster even if it's an absolutely terrible idea like sticking two turbos in the cabin with you <laughs> like yeah you're right you're 100 right i mean the things people do to win or go fast is it's it's almost you can't it's unfathomable people do whatever it takes yeah, like you look at something and be like, yeah, that's a, you know, I could, you know, I've I've seen some of the posts from the guy that built the car and people talking about. It. I'm like, yes, in theory, this is going to make the car faster. However, I don't think SFI has a blast shield rating for what you would need to have around those turbos for me to even get in that thing while it's idling, let alone making a hit. Yeah, I I mean, I've barely just got over the notion of having that transmission sitting next to me you know that has parts flying around in it and then putting turbos that you know spin at ninety four thousand rpms or something whatever they are that to me would be something i don't know if i could do it i really don't that would be really i'd have to have a quarter inch plate between me and the in the turbos you know what i mean yeah they're like oh we're gonna put a stainless steel firewall in i'm like bro dude anything pops in that deal I want something a little bit more than a stainless steel firewall between me and, you know. Shrapnel. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I've seen a pulling tractor have a turbo let go underneath the cowl of the, the pulling tractor all the way at the front. And it basically destroyed everything around it. And that's with that heavy-duty cowl around it. So you're going to need some plate steel around that that's going to negate any advantage you get from having those turbos in there because of the weight. Let alone yeah. the heat or the noise. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I seen the pictures. I, I didn't, I haven't read or known, you know, what the philosophy was behind it as far as the weight distribution or airflow or what the whole situation was. But it definitely seems uh, a little bit out of the ordinary. That's for sure. There's, there's two kinds of people: people that look at that picture and go, "That's a terrible idea," because they know better. <laughs> and then there's other people like, oh, "I'd get in it." Yeah, yeah. I bet you are right. You're right. Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, that's probably the ones that say that's probably never even driven a car, so they wouldn't know what they would drive or not. You know. Yeah, like when you've been around the track and you've seen enough carnage from things letting go, 
a little bit of sense kicks in where I'm like, you know, uh, maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is not, it ain't just, no, it ain't just, it isn't worth the, it isn't worth it. Why do it? You know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's like, it was funny last week I had a, uh, a nitro funny car racer on uh, Jim Campbell on and I was like you know what's the one thing you wouldn't drive he said top fuel Harley hands down I'm like that seems to be the popular answer amongst racers but it's very telling when another nitro racer says I'm not gonna get on a top fuel Harley <laughs> like, yeah motor motorcycles in themselves for me they don't have enough bars around it for me to get on it I need if we're gonna wreck I need something to cushion the cushion the fall a little bit let, let alone having a nitromethane bomb sitting, you yeah. know, inches from your heart and other vital organs. Yeah, unbelievable. That is that is definitely takes some that takes some uh, insanity. Lot of courage. Insanity. Yes. In, it, yes. It's like uh, guys that drive a fuel alterts. I love fuel alterts, but my God, that's another vehicle that is designed to kill you. For sure. Short wheelbase. Out of control. Yeah, you're driving that out of control. And, you know, I, I like to ask my guests this question as well as, you know, what, what else would you drive besides what you got? If you were given a, a a complete blank check and someone said, Roger, you can build, drive, race, whatever you want, what are you, what are you building? Uh... I, w- I would I would love I would like to I would drive a pro stock I think pro stock's really really cool uh, but like I don't know I mean, I'd, I'd like to it'd be cool to race NASCAR you know race a car because uh, I've done some asphalt racing but really man I I do I, I do what I you know like to do I don't really have a whole lot of you know outside things you know well, I go, man, I really wish I'd do that. You know, I think I'm, I'm blessed enough to, I love drag racing and, and I race the class that I want to race. And I don't really have a whole lot of things other than that, you know, but there are, I'd love to do it all. I mean, off, uh, you know, desert off-road racing is definitely something I would do if I didn't have to work on it and clean it. Yeah. Yeah. But if I could just be the driver of one of them, for sure, that would be something that would be, That'd be up my alley, I think, you know, going 100 miles an hour across the desert, jumping. That'd be that'd be something fun to do. I am also a fan of desert off-road racing, for sure. But that's another that, – that's like almost like – that's a top few Harley 1B for me, again, because it would be fun. But you're going – you know, you watch some of those the highlights of those races, and, you know – one wrong move and all of a sudden you're doing barrel rolls and snap flips in the middle of the desert. And the only thing out there is, you know, a couple fans and a donkey, you know? Yes. That's I, it. yes I, I agree. I, but you know, for me, if there isn't a little bit of risk to it, then the fun's not there for me. If it's not a little bit nerve wracking or you're not really sure of the outcome, it, it's just not, it doesn't excite me. You know, if, if I know the outcome and it's going to, be like getting your car going to the store. That doesn't excite me at all. You know, if you, if, but if you do that, you may not make it. You might have to dodge somebody or something. Then it makes it a little bit more exciting, you know. Yeah. So, so, so you fall within that category of rally racing as well, where you've got some dude screaming in your ear to make a sharp left turn going at a high rate of speed. Yeah, that would be another. That if I if I had whatever I could race, that would be definitely something else that I would do with rally racing. That would be something super cool to do. Yeah, that again. That's another group of guys that just I look at. I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of want to, but I, I kind of don't want to die. 
You know? right, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go flipping off a cliff somewhere. Yeah, it's like those dudes that went off the edge of Pike's Peak a few years ago. That footage still, anytime I see that, I stop and watch it because it's absolutely, it blows my mind that anybody survived that crash. Yeah. Like, it's it, nuts. It's, it's like those guys that race over in England, that Isle of Man TT, you know, balls out on a crotch rocket through the English or wherever that is, countryside. Ugh. That's like they usually lose a couple people per year. Again, it's it, it's for the rush, but I'm like, you're going to an event where it's like every year someone is expected to die. You know, I don't yeah, like that. The, I don't like those stats. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, with, I hear you. That's why I say I, I need uh, some roll cage around me and the odds of dying need to be real, you know, not very high. Yeah, it, it's like nitro racers too. It's something where, I mean, I, I – I kind of want to do a nitro car, but at the same time, it's like I've seen up close a few inches away of what happens when things go bad with those cars. And it's like, it's nuts. There's, there's so much physics and insanity going on with those cars that, you know, seeing them in person is one thing, but then seeing what they're capable of is just, it's scary as hell. Yes. But it makes it fun. Couldn't agree more. That would be something that, uh, I've never been into the, you know, I mean, I, I watch it and I, you know, but I've never really wanted to drive, uh, you know, a nitro car or top field reactor. I'm not saying I wouldn't, you know, but it just, it's always, I've always been a door car guy, you know, pro stock, pro mod, you know, to me, I just never really got into the top field stuff. You know? For me, the ultimate form of door car racing is, I think, pro mod racing. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, pro mod or any type of, you know, fast uh, uh, heads up, you know, radio racing to me is, is in the same exact line of pro mod racing to me, you know, that the horsepower, the motors are the same, you're just trying to get it done on a smaller tire, you know, the cars theoretically are the same. Um, so yeah, any, any type of that stuff for sure is where it's at in my eyes. Do you do you feel like you get an extra do you, do you get an add an extra feather for your cap the fact that you won Pro 275 in a real car and not in a pro mod? You know, yeah, I guess in a sense, but I mean, I believe that Pro 275 should be a steel body class, not so much that because there's any advantage or disadvantage. I mean, obviously, there's arguments both ways, but mainly to have a difference from radio versus the world to Pro 275 is, you know, um, is my car much different than a Pro Mod? Not really. I mean, maybe the aerodynamics, but for the fans, there's a huge difference. You can tell the difference, you know. Um, so I think for that reason alone, there should have been just, you know, still still quarter body cars in there. So the looks doesn't get changed, you know. Um, but with that being said, you know, if, if I think Donald or the Pro 275 class, it just gives people that, you know, either don't want to afford to run at the radio versus world level or can't afford to run it at that level, it allows them a place to come and race and not have to either sell it or get out of the racing. So, it, you know, it just keeps people in the racing game to allow that type of car in the class because obviously, you know, the KTRs of the world, they, 
they make it very hard to, to uh, compete, you know, in the radio versus the world level. I'd agree with that. I, I think that unfortunately you're starting to see radio versus the world fall into the uh, pro extreme trap of it's just, it's become such an arms race that it's so hard to compete at that level. And Donald Long is going to have one hell of a challenge to keep pro 275 from falling into that period. I agree. I agree hundred percent, you know, and that's, that's kind of, you know, why I got out of the radio versus the world and mainly, mainly because we don't have the time or the, the able to be able to test. I mean, to stay at that type of level, you, you have to be able to go to a track that's radio prepped and be able to spend a few days there and test, you know, and test and test and test. Well, you know, we don't have that luxury out here. We can't, we can't do that. And that's one of the reasons why I got out of radio versus world a few years ago, you know, just the cost of it. I, for me to be able to do that is it's just not justifiable. You know, and and I'm afraid, you know, that Pro 275 shortly is going to get to where, you know, there's going to be a lot of testing going on and they're going to get faster and it's going to get to the point for us out here on the West Coast that I can't, I won't be able to go back there to a race and get enough testing in to be able to compete, you know, and it's, it's in time, it's, I'm sure it's going to come to that again, you know, but until then we're going to do what we can to be on top. I'm going to say something that's probably going to piss a lot of people off, and I'm perfectly fine with that, is that Donald is going to have to do stuff with the rules that is going to hurt people's feelings, and they're going to have to understand that if they want to be able to keep racing, it's the way it's going to have to be, because otherwise you're not going to let... The beast will overtake everything, and the inmates will be running the prison. Yeah, that's there's... You're never, ever, ever going to make everybody happy with rules. You know, you have... I mean, somebody has to make the rules that allows the class to stick around. Um, is the class going to get faster? Yes. Is the class going to take a lot of money to run? Yes. But it's, you definitely, you definitely have to do something to keep it in check, you know? Um, but truthfully, I don't know that if that's possible. I don't know that you can do that, you know, because, everything gets faster with, with the same combinations, you know? So I don't know. I'm, I guess there's a way to do it. You know, I, that's why I'd hate to be a rule maker because that's not an easy job to do. You have to put in very draconian rules that people are going to bitch about and you have to keep a tight, tight rein on it. And it's, again, it might hamper the class a little bit, but you have to keep those gains manageable because otherwise you're going to see what we've seen here in radio versus the world where, you know, four you know four tens were like oh my god that's fast to now to the point where we're running 350s knocking on the door 340s that's that's bonkers yeah it's definitely insane and like i said i you know i guess there's you know and there's so many different combinations that how do you you know to make parity between all the combinations is almost impossible in itself you know because obviously the the combination that make a bunch of power you either have to make them heavy and make the cars that don't make the same power light. And then you start running into a problem. Well, I can't get my car that light. Well, I don't want to run my car that heavy. It's hard on parts. I mean, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. You know, it's, it's definitely, I mean, then that's what happens. I think, or that I've seen happen on the West coast, you know, over the years back when PSCA was around, 
you know, at the end of the time, I think we had 13 or 14 classes. Well, the problem with that is, is five cars get in this class, two cars get in that class, six cars get in that class, and four cars get in this class. So it ends up hurting everything in the end when you just keep making classes to, you know, to let somebody get in. You, you just need to figure out how to keep the classes you got, but keep it, keep good parity, you know. It seems like X275 does a great job at it somehow. It does to a point, but I think it's also because John Sears has sold the rest of his soul to the devil to try to figure that out every time that something new happens, and no matter what, he catches flack for it. But I think his skin is so thick anymore that he's just like, you know, love it or leave it. You know, you go go up a weight class and run limited drag radial, go down a class and run ultra. This yep. is it. And that's almost well, the mentality you got to have. You definitely, that's what I say, you, you, you can't, you, you, when you're making rules, you can't have any friends. That's for sure. Exactly. Well, Roger, our time here is coming to an end on the Dragzine podcast, and I'd like to give my guests their opportunity to take the floor and thank their sponsors and tell people where they can find them on social media. You know, if they want to do it like John Force, they can, you know, in that sort of nature, just, you know, it's, it's your opportunity to, to thank your sponsors and whatnot. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll turn the floor over to you. All right. Well, and thank you for having me on and talking about drag racing and drag zine. That's that's always cool. Um, without you know, without having my company holders air conditioning to be able to uh, support the the bad habit that I've created, you know, we all the good employees that we have to be able to go racing. Can't thank them enough. And then. Um, you know, I've got uh, Deeds, Josh Deeds over at Deeds Performance that's helped me out tremendously with putting the car together and the tuning and uh, just he's done a fantabulous job of getting us to where we're at today. And, you know, then for uh, Noonan Engineering, giving us a platform to uh, put together a power plant that's reliable and makes the power to run up front. You know, it's, uh, my local guy here in town, John Kirshner, he... Uh, he helps me put the engines together and does a great job at that. You know, we've we've rarely been let down to mechanical failures. You know, buying good parts keeps that going, obviously. And uh, fuel tech, you know, that's been a, a great turnaround in my combination. Um, put fuel tech on the car, and it's it's pretty much been flawless. And then uh, Abdullah wired the car from ProWire. He's Another thing that, you know, we go to the track, we don't have to worry about any type of wiring issues. It, it, that thing has worked flawlessly since we fired it up. It's been great. And then uh, Bert Heck over at Canyon Filters, he takes care of all our filter needs and cleaners and stuff like that. ARP bolts, they give us the bolts we need to keep the heads on the thing. <laughs> um, you know, Mickey Thompson Tires, um, else helps us out m and m fuels keeps us all the fuels and oil needs that we need keep you know gets us go to the track and you know my uh i'm trying to think who else precision turbos psd drive shafts just everybody involved with the with our with our team you know um i gotta thank my wife you know being able to she puts up with a lot you know being a drag racer's wife you know the money we spend the time we out in the shop getting everything ready she's a she's definitely a trooper she's my biggest fan she helps tremendously on the team and all my crew members 
And we've got a bunch of them because we, we do a lot of racing together. You know, Chris Wheeler, Will Simcoe, Lyle Robertson, Style Robertson, Wayne Dotson, uh, my son, Brylon Holder. We, I mean, we got, I got crew members that, you know, without them all, man, we could not get it done. I got a couple guys that drive the hauler back east for us. John Cagley and Mike Mosby, you know, they get the stuff back there for us. And, you know, they're, they're a great help to the team and just, uh, it's, you know, without a great team, it's, it's hard to be on top, you know, win any races at that level for sure. So, um, but yeah, if you want to follow us, you can go to Holder Motorsports on Facebook and, you know, just follow us on there and try to do as much updating as we can and, you know, follow all the stuff that's going on in the Holder Motorsports world with the dirt track racing and asphalt racing and drag racing. So, but yeah, I appreciate the time and, I appreciate everybody that's helped us out in the past or future. And another guy that helps us out tremendously too is Mark Mincer from Mincer Motorsports with all the shocks. That guy's, anytime you have a question, I mean, he's there to answer the phone and obviously to be able to get all that horsepower hooked up on that 275. It's not an easy, easy task. And Mark's been there for us and has definitely made a huge uh, improvement in our program as well. So hopefully i didn't forget nobody if i did i, I apologize and that's you know i'm kind of going on the fly here just talking but all you guys that know that you're on the team that's you're very much appreciated and couldn't do it without you awesome roger well, again appreciate your time and uh look forward to see you at the track again soon all right brian thank you buddy talk to you soon well that wraps up the show for this week thanks to roger for stopping by and as always may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright until next week folks